All right, here we go, ladies and gentlemen. We teased it earlier. You saw it online. Right now, it's the Toronto Maple Leafs welcoming the Edmonton Oilers to town. And we have Zach Lang with us from Oiler Nation, Daily Faceoff, and the Nation Network. This man right here knows his Edmonton Oilers, knows the NHL, so we had to have him on, especially with all the stories popping off right now about the Oilers, the rumors swirling. Hey, we'll get to all that, but let's introduce our guest. Zach, how's it going tonight, buddy? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. You know, it's uh, like you said, there's no lack of news going around right now. So, you know, uh, keeping busy, trying to digest everything and uh, figure out what the next moves are going to be for this Oilers team. Yeah, well, we'll definitely get to the Oilers in a moment. But I mean, just to, to give a little microcosm of them right now, it doesn't seem like it's happy times in Oil Nation. So, yeah, no, definitely not. Uh, you know, it's been a, a tough stretch here. They've gone. I believe it's 3-9-2 since the beginning of December here. Dave Tippett hasn't won a game behind the Oilers bench uh, since December 1st. Um, fans are frustrated. Uh, they're frustrated by not only Tippett, but Ken Holland as well. And and uh, what a lot of people are feeling has been some pretty poor jobs by both of them in uh, not only constructing the roster in the offseason, but also, uh, you know, coaching it on a nightly basis. Well, we'll break down that just a little bit later on. But yeah, no, it's... It's tough to watch. And I mean, as being a Leaf fan, we went through this beginning of the season and we've gone through this numerous times before. So uh, it's nothing new to either fan base, but it sucks because when you have great players on your squad, you really want to see them take that next step. So we'll dive into them a little bit, but I want to ask you a question about the uh, the NHL as a whole right now. There's something that keeps going on and keeps happening. It's happening a lot more. And it seems to be these big hits, these headshots, guys getting laid out, getting leveled. Um, you know, having to answer the bell, et cetera, et cetera. But now you're seeing it like with the guy, Sam Bennett, getting suspended three games. Uh, you know, the, the head was the principal point of contact, but you look at the hits by Jacob Truba. You know, you look at uh, just all of these different kind of hits. It seems to be more and more prevalent now. Uh, it doesn't seem to be, you know, something that's just done once in a blue moon. I'm wondering for you, do you see this more often? And is it a growing concern? I know we all love the big hit. We all love the big open ice hit but I like safe, big open ice hits. I don't like the principal point of contact to be anywhere near the head or any head snapping back. And there's lots of different ways we see. Uh, look at Jake Muzzin. I believe he blew up Tyson Berry. You know, it was a big hit, but it wasn't, you know, one of those ones where he led through the chest to the head and knocked him down. Mm-hmm. It was just a big body on body. So for you, when you start seeing these types of hits, what goes through your mind? And do you think that there needs to be something for the NHL either to step in or maybe bring back uh, a goon-esque type player to slow that stuff down. Yeah, I mean, it's a bit of a double-edged sword when you look at it, right? I mean, on one hand, you know that that fans love that sort of stuff, as you mentioned. Uh, they love the big hits. They love the fights. They love um, that rough-and-tumble hockey that so many people grew up with. I mean, you harken back to the, the 70s and the 80s and even the 90s to the 2000s. Uh, there was always the enforcers that were on teams. There was always the big tough guys. And that's something that the NHL's really gone away from. Uh, it's turned into a more of a speed and skill game. But you still have these guys, as you mentioned, like the Jacob Trubas of the world that are, are out there looking to lay these big hits. You know, uh, as somebody who follows the Oilers, the Oilers, you know, Jujar Kaira was a guy that got blown up. He's playing on Chicago now. Um, that's a guy who's had multiple concussions in his NHL career. So uh, me too. I, like, I love seeing the big hits. Uh, I, I think it's definitely a part of the game. But as you mentioned, that principal point of contact being the head is something the league needs to get rid of. And you know, I don't think they necessarily came down hard enough on Jacob Truba. Um, and I feel it's a little bit ironic almost for them to kind of go now and, and hand three games to Sam Bennett for, for you know, another hit that was a principal point of contact. 
Um, it, it's, it's frustrating as somebody who covers the league um, because you're getting no consistency in those calls. And that's something we're seeing also on a nightly basis on the ice, um, not only with uh, big hits like that, but also other penalties. Uh, you know, I know you wouldn't be uh, any stranger to seeing what happens to Austin Matthews and Connor McDavid on a regular basis. Yep. Um, you know, I think it's deeper. I think the issues are, are deeper rooted than just, you know, the big hits. I think there's a lot that the NHL needs to sit back and look at um, when it comes to the way the referees uh, officiate games on a nightly basis. So where do you fix it though? Like, is there any way that you can, there's not one way you can do it. For me, I've always looked at the heavy handed approach. Once you set a precedence, once you throw the book at a guy and say, this is no longer acceptable and this is what will happen. We talked about this last week on our show too, about setting precedents for things that haven't been done before, like the salary cap. If you go over the salary cap, there is no set punishment that you get for going over the salary cap. It's completely arbitrary yeah. to whatever the situation may be. Same thing with a player leaving to go to the Olympics, which we'll talk about probably in a moment as well. But yeah, I think what you need to do is you need to set, this is what happens now. If you do this and this just maybe rip it right out of the double IHF rule book and say, this is what happens. You're out of the game. You're gone. It's done. You're suspended yeah. into suspension. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. And that's some of the best hockey. We all crave the Olympic style hockey. So Absolutely. why not implement that rule here? I know we love the big body check, but there's still big hits in Olympic hockey, but yeah. not like that. That stuff is not there because guys know if I cross that line, I'm not going to be able to play and I'm going to be suspended, which hinders my team. So maybe yeah. that is the, the detriment you need to put in there or the deterrent, sorry, where guys are like, okay, no longer can I do that. But, hey, I'll find a way to do my body checks and, and do my thing, but can't do it like that. I think that's what needs to come in here, not only to, I guess, save the game, keep the speed in the game and stuff like that, but also to save guys from down the line, from head injuries and, you know, living a normal life. Because those things do affect you and people start to think, oh, it's just a game. These are just hockey players. They get paid millions of dollars. You know, it doesn't matter. Well, it does because quality of life beyond hockey is something that, we all want to see you look at all kinds of contact yeah. sports, whether it's football, MMA, uh, you know, boxing, you see what it does to people. So you don't want, if you can take that out of your game, why wouldn't you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think what's frustrating is I think the NHL has tried to do something like setting a standard and setting a precedent. Uh, but the problem is, is that they failed to uphold that. Right. Like, I, like look at the start of this season, right? Like what was the big storyline coming into the beginning of the year? It was cross-checking. Yeah. Right. Like for the first month, it was like any time a player would come at somebody with two hands on their stick, they were called, they were gone. And if you look at the numbers after the first three, four weeks of the season, the referees stopped calling it. And they, yeah. they just it went back to the old ways. So, you know, I think when we sit and look at something like this, it's almost you know, I almost feel like there's a top-down revamp that needs to come at some point in the NHL. Yes. Um, you know, I think it goes beyond just the referees. I think it goes beyond all of that. I almost wonder if it's time for new voices in those departments, um, new perspectives, new new ways to look at the way um, these games are being handled, the way they're being officiated, and the way that the punishments are being handed out. Because, again, like I said uh, a few minutes ago, you know, it's it's some kind of irony to see Sam Bennett get three games for hits that are similar to what Jacob Truba laid two nights in a row earlier yeah. this season, and they didn't even bat an eye when – you know, you see a guy like uh, Dujar Kaira, as I mentioned again, his head hit the ice and being out cold on the ice. 
that's scary. You ask anybody, like I, you can even go and ask the people who love the biggest hits in the world. Like they could be the biggest Scott Stevens fans, like from the nineties, you know what I mean? Oh, and yeah. none, of, none of them want to see players getting injured like that. Right. Um, so it's, it's gotta be something that the NHL needs to look at as a whole and not only setting a standard, but upholding that standard too. Um, and, and I think that's where the change really needs to come because I think they do a decent enough job at trying to set a standard, but there's no consistency with it. And it's quite frustrating to watch, right? Because it's it impacts the way the game's played. It impacts the flow of games. Uh, it impacts the results of games. And, and these are serious things that we need to look at, as you mentioned too, beyond just uh, the players on the ice, right? So, you know, these guys are all people. Um, I think people tend to forget that sometimes when they look at them just as assets and just as, you know, guys skating around on the ice. I mean, these are some of the top athletes in the world, even your third, fourth line grinder types. Like, you know, those guys, they go down to the American league and they're like superstar scorers down there. Right. So it's an incredible league. And I think, you know, we all want to see players at the end of the day, you know, being safe and taken care of by, uh, by the league and the teams. No, you definitely do. And that's uh... Like I said, I don't know, maybe just adopt that rule from the double IHF. That's the best way to say it because then there's a blanket yeah. way. Then there's no way you skirt around it, right? It's, it's there. This is what it is, yeah. black and white. There's no uh, way to arbitrarily go around it or say, okay, well, we're not going to do this because this was the thing. Or, you know, Sam Bennett gets this because this is how we felt about it. This is black and white. This is what you did. This is what it is. It doesn't matter if you meant to, if that is the way the hit went through no matter what it is. And that would eliminate it from the game. You would still get big body checks. You would still yep. get guys getting blown up, but it wouldn't be like that. It just would Absolutely. Because guys would say, I don't want to be losing two, three games on an automatic suspension, plus be kicked out of the game to leave my team behind like that. It just wouldn't be something they want to do. If you get five thrown out of the game and a two-game suspension on top, instantly, that's cut and dry. Just that's it. If there's no way to get around that, then I think guys would change their game and you'd see it. You'd still see big hits, but you just wouldn't see those kind. And I think that's what we need to move away from. And like you said, maybe that sucks from the top and works it way down. But I mean, if we get any indication, it doesn't sound like good old Gary's going anywhere. So, I mean, that's where it all starts. It starts with him and going back down. And, you know, if everybody's amongst that group, happy with the status quo, then they're not going to change it, you know, and, Good luck trying to move that guy off of whatever he thinks. It's like, uh, I think it's Elliot Friedman who always says, you know, once Gary Bettman gets stuck on an idea, you don't move him from it. It, it takes a mountain to move him around it. So, Yeah, I couldn't say it any better myself, honestly. I think, uh, you know, it's something that the, the league needs to take a look at and the, the people that are in place. And, you know, the, the, the players need to take a stand. The agents need to take a stand. Um, those are the people that have the voices that can impact the change. Um, so I think in, in a certain sense, it almost starts from there, uh, from the on ice uh, position. You know, you look similarly, you know, I don't know if you follow the NFL at all, uh, but the Philadelphia Eagles, they played uh, the Washington football team on the road this last week. And at the end of the game, the, the Eagles quarterback, Jalen Hurts, was leaving the field and uh, the stadium kind of fell apart and yep. five or six fans kind of fell down on top of a media member. And it was just kind of like, hush, hush, get the hell out of here sweep it under the rug and and Hertz stepped up today with a powerful statement you know calling on the Washington football team in the NFL to examine what happened um so that something like that doesn't happen again that's a player that is taking charge uh, and and granted it's a bit of a different facet right but you know it just goes to show that 
that these are the players that can impact the change. You know, what happens if, if a guy like Connor McDavid or an Austin Matthews or yep. whoever it is that's a, a top star in the league comes up and says, well, hey, you know, look, this is something that needs to change. And it's almost unfortunate because we have ingrained in this hockey culture and hockey society to not do stuff like that, right? It's true. You know, big a big story that we covered at Oilers Nation this year was John Tortorella and what he had to say uh, about Connor McDavid making some comments about the officiating. Right? Yep. You know, like when you have pundits like Tortorella uh, coming out and saying stuff like that, it almost deters the players in a way from from that because they don't also necessarily want to be the story. Um, but the story is bigger than the players themselves uh, as a singular. It, it's about, uh, it's about a whole. So, you know, I think I would really like to see the, the players and the agents and stuff like that step up and take maybe a stronger stand on some of this stuff as well. Well, you look at some of the players, you know, over the years that have been outspoken about things and what happens to them, whether it's not even just outspoken about, you know, issues going on within the game or outside of the game, but even just trying to grow personality-wise. You look at Ovechkin with the hot stick. You look at P.K. Subban and the way he generates himself and carries himself with the media and saying things and tries to champion causes and things like that. How many times have those guys been hush-hushed? And then it started to go over the heap. And then you see right now with Brad Marchand coming out with the, you know, wanting to go to the Olympics, you know, taking his own stand. And then now you hear from Elliot Freeman on the weekend, keep name dropping him, but he's got all the information. So you got to do it and you got a source credit. So on the weekend, he's talking about all these guys who are trying to dissolve their contracts, get out of it, find loopholes and all that stuff. And that all stems from Brad Marchand coming out and say what he said. So, I mean, players need to take a stand if they believe in something and not worry about what the repercussions going to be, because I've said this numerous times, a guy like Connor McDavid, if he comes out and he says, this is steadfastly the problem that we're having, this is what we need to fix. You know, and everybody agrees with me. Do you think the NHL is going to poo poo him and be like, no, no, you're suspended. Here's a big, huge fine. No, no, they're they're not going to do that because he's a marquee generating guy for revenue. You use him for all your advertising and everything. So guys like that, that have the, the ear of the league, so to speak, like the Austin Matthews, Patty Canes, it doesn't matter. Go through every yep. single team. There's a guy that's on each team that could be a guy to step up and be a focal point to drive change for whatever reason it may be. And not just Absolutely. because the NHL says so, but because these guys are able to say, hey, this is what we don't want in the game. This is what we do want in the game. But right now it seems like maybe there's a divide as well. Some guys, you know, hey, let's be quiet and keep our money and keep rolling. And then there's a the younger crowd a little bit. They're like, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. This isn't working. This isn't working yep. for me. It's not going to work for you later on. How about we fix it now? So I think there's a little bit of tug on the rope from either side of that players union too, which is a, a thing that you don't want to see. But hey, maybe as the, the younger players now move up and the new guys come in, maybe you'll see more cohesion and more things be able to be, I guess, fixed if you want to put it that way. Yeah, I mean, I think especially with this new generation of players, there's a level of confidence um, and steadfastness in themselves as people too. Uh, like you look at a guy like Trevor Zegras, for example, like you see the things that he's doing on the ice, but yep. you know, a couple of days ago, he tweeted something about the NHL all-star vote and he tweeted like his like non-highlight package. And it was like five or six or seven clips of him, like fumbling the puck and stuff like that. And it, it sounds silly, but 
that's the type of stuff that this generation loves. They love that player engagement. Um, You know, we've seen on Twitter, the emergence of fan cams, uh, essentially fan made highlight packages and highlight reels of players. You know, this is the way the NHL is trending. And I think as a whole for a very, very, very long time, this league has seriously struggled uh, to market their players or allow them to feel like they have a voice uh, in comparison to leagues like the NBA, especially where you look at the stars are the stars and they see, things and change happens like lebron james comes out comes out and says something about like whatever it is like that's generating buzz across the nation um and all through the length through the ranks of the nba uh so yeah i think it's a it's a deeper issue as i mentioned about you know hockey culture as a whole i think needing to shift away from the way that it's been for so long towards a a newer fresher generation here no, well, hopefully with the new generation coming in, we do see some voice of change and maybe winds of change as well with things that can, you know, move to a different direction. I think that will happen. Um, I want to ask you quickly, though, I know it's been beaten to death. It's done now, um, unless the Olympics get moved. What was your initial gut reaction to the NHL players not going? I said it back in October. I didn't feel that they were going to go. I didn't think there was any chance that the owners would want these players going. And there would be any loophole or any problem or any way they can get the fact the players weren't going to not go. They were going to go for it. And I say Gary Bettman saying numerous times at the Board of Governors meetings, we promise the players, we're going to let them decide. We promise the players. But he'd always add the caveat that if there's no huge problems to our schedule, they can go. But he kept saying, we promise. And we're going to be just, I think that was a huge saving face for him. And just trying to be the good guy. Hey, no, no, we said you can go. You guys can go. You make the decision unless it impacts our schedule. Then we can't yeah. go. I mean, I, I think, think individual you. players should be allowed to go. Personally, I think if the player wants to say, I want to go, and the owner wants to let him go, then that should be a whole different can of, kettle of fish, whatever you want to call it. I think that should be different from the entirety of the NHL going. But I guess if one goes and a bunch would want to go, and I don't know where that goes from there. Yeah, I think that's kind of where I would disagree with you on that one. I think if you allow one player to go, um, you need to allow all of the players to go. It needs to be an all or nothing sort of a situation in my eyes. Look, I'm very understanding of the players wanting to go to the Olympics and wanting to play. I I think a lot of the comments from Bettman have been genuine about uh, allowing the players to go and giving them that option and opportunity to do so. Um, You know, I think right up until... You know, we started to see COVID take hold of the league again. Uh, I was pretty confident in the players and the the league going to the Olympic Games this year. Um, I really do. I really think that it was something that the players have pushed for this for, you know, six, seven, eight years now. It's been a long battle. Um, And I think it was interesting to see Batman and the league finally sort of cave on that a little bit. Um, And I admired them for it. I think it was the right move. I mean, you've got to you got to reward these players at the end of the day that want to represent their country in something like this. Um, I think the situation with it being in China made things a little bit difficult as well. When we start talking about COVID as a whole, um, as well as the quarantine rules and regulations that surrounded, you know, what happens over there. So at the end of the day, am I surprised they're not going? No. Uh, Am I disappointed? Yes, of course. Um, There's nothing more that I wanted to see than Connor McDavid playing on a line with Nathan McKinnon and Cindy Crosby. I think any player or any person who follows the NHL would want to see that. Right. Um, You know, unfortunately, I think it was the right move at the end of the day. 
from a business standpoint for the NHL, um, you know, you, at the end of the day, you got to set aside those emotions and feelings to realize and recognize that the NHL at the end of the day is a business. They have an 82 game schedule that they have to uphold and that they want to really uphold this year uh, after having two back-to-back shortened seasons uh, due to COVID and the pandemic, right? So is it an ideal situation? No. Um, but I think at the end of the day, the players need to keep the foot on the gas pedal here uh, and try and make it happen for, for 2026 uh, when when it's uh, next comes around. So you look at the next go around. I was going to ask you this actually. So you led right into it. Um, isn't it for sure thing that they would get to go the next go around? I mean, obviously it was negotiated into this one and do the players simply say, Hey, we didn't get to go because of COVID, but we still gave our side of the bargain. You haven't really given your side of the bargain. That was out of our control. We didn't, you know, it wasn't something that we manufactured or anything like that. It just happened, you know, force of nature so to speak so now can we go to this one is it an ask or is it a given uh as far as i'm concerned it should be a given me too um, I, yeah I, yeah I, I don't think it should be a question really uh the nhl players have had it the worst out of anybody in the entire league uh for the last two years the escrow rate has climbed significantly uh players are giving up large portions of their salaries um, to to the escrow and, and to keep the league afloat here. Yeah. Um, and at the end of the day, how much has the league really done for the players in the last number of years here? Like, let's be honest, the players have gone the short end of the stick quite consistently. Um, and, you know, you look at, for example, here in Edmonton, uh, the Forbes evaluation this year for the Edmonton Oilers was $1.1 billion. That climbed from $650 million the year prior. So an owner like Daryl Cates here in Edmonton is making some serious, serious coin off of uh, the NHL and the Edmonton Oilers and and the ice district here in Edmonton. And what do the players get to show for it? Not a whole lot because again, the escrow rates are escrow rates keep climbing. Um, We got a flat salary cap for a number of years coming forward. So as far as I'm concerned, it it should be a make or break thing for these players uh, next go around. So the next go around, I think they should be, a given you're going period. Uh, but here's the NHL's dangle. And it sounds like this is something that's gaining a little bit more steam. They would rather do a world cup of hockey and maybe satiate the need for these players to represent their country. And I say, that's all well and good. If you include all of the countries, because if you yeah. don't include all of the countries and you have team Europe and team North America, which were, Hey, fun teams, fun concept, liked it the first go around. But if you're going to try to use this as a replacement for the Olympics, I want all the teams involved and I want every team, you know, player to represent their team. I want that to be the, the actual way it goes. But do you think that the NHL may dangle that and say, Hey, we'll do a world cup of hockey and we'll sit, we'll commit to a schedule maybe every four years to do that but we can't guarantee you the Olympics. Would you think the NHL players would accept that? Um, I don't know. That's an interesting question. I mean, I think the question that I pose is why not both? Um, Why don't we have the Olympics and why don't we have a world cup of hockey? Um, You know, you can cycle through them. Like, obviously we got the Olympics every four years. uh, So why not have a world cup of hockey every four years in between it in the summertime for, you know, three weeks or a month or something like that. Um, allows the NHL to maximize their revenues off of something like the World Cup of Hockey and give the players a chance to represent their countries uh, on a national stage like the Olympics. Because, you know, I think the World Cup of Hockey is great and all, but, you know, a World Cup of Hockey gold medal doesn't mean as much as an Olympic gold medal does. 
Yeah. Um, it, it has a whole different level of, of stature to it. Um, so I think as far as I'm concerned, the, the players should be pushing for both. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, the IOC, they probably would want the NHL players there too, right? Because if you got NHL players at your Olympic Games, you know you're filling stadiums covid forbidding right yes yes. um you know and then those nhl players will be bringing in revenue to the ioc and and the double ihf as well through their play so um you know i think they should push for both of it because i think it would be fun and for the fans too like they the fans of the game want to see as much hockey as possible right uh so the more hockey the merrier at the end of the day is is the way that i sort of look at it no, definitely. Well, let me ask you this one about more hockey than Maria before we jump into the Maple Leafs and the Oilers here. Um, the World Junior Hockey Championships, there's two rumors floating. One is uh, they're going to restart it in April or they're going to restart it in August. Um, for you, we're talking about more hockey than Maria. Uh, if, if I'm a betting man, I would say I'd rather do it in August uh, where there's no other hockey going on. It whets the appetite for the NHL. It gets you going, you know, in the dog days of summer when there's no NHL hockey to talk about really. All the teams are kind of, you know, gearing up for their training camps and all that stuff. You don't really get much news. So that would be a little bit of a, you know, hey, let's get excited for hockey bit. Whereas in April, you're kind of already in the mindset. If you've got a favorite team in the NHL or you're covering the NHL, you're tuned into what's going on with the Stanley Cup playoffs and what teams are in the race for, depending on when they do it in April. So for me, I look at August, but I'm wondering for you, where would you like to see the World Juniors, you know, pick back up from? Yeah, I think August makes the most sense. Um, I think you make some good points about, you know, trying to get it in a, a non-hockey uh, prime time, so to speak, right? Like, I don't know if, if the the double IHF would want to try and compete with the NHL for those for that viewership. And I think part of the reason why the World Juniors are so significant is because they come at a time when there's a little bit of quiet in the NHL, right? Like Christmas time, heading into the new year, yeah, the NHL will come back with its games. They'll have the Winter Classic, but there's so much buzz that's been created around the World Juniors for so long yeah. uh, in that spot. And I think, you know, the IIF and, and Hockey Canada, they're going to want to try and maximize their their profits out of it. And that's what they tried to do here this go around. Yes. Um, and it just turned into an absolute gong show here in Alberta. Um, it was really from the get-go, I think it was a doomed tournament. Uh, I think from the beginning, it was very flawed. Um, I understand the organizations trying to get fans in the stands to bring in some kind of revenue with it. But, uh, you know, going with a soft bubble the way that it did obviously complicated things. And uh, at the end of the day, that's why we're talking about looking at, well, when are they going to pick the World Juniors back up? So, you know, I think in an ideal world, they would they would try and revisit it in the summertime here. No, I look forward to that. Obviously, like I said, when you got nothing going on hockey-wise in August, you're you're cramming for or you know, dying for any little bit of news that comes down the pipeline. So you get really excited. So if you got the World Juniors to whet your appetite and get you excited for you know training camp that starts maybe the middle of September, you're absolutely jacked up. But hey, right now we're in the thick of things here in the NHL, and we got two teams are about to face each other tomorrow. Lots of news swirling around both squads. Um, the big news out of Toronto was Austin Matthews may not be available for the Edmonton Oilers game. Turns out he had a negative test today. Uh, they're going to see he's not ruled out for tomorrow. Obviously, probably another test has to come through to confirm that he's either positive or negative. And then, of course, Connor McDavid. Um, the one that's kind of weird for me on this one with Connor McDavid was yesterday, I believe it was Tippett said, you know, it's not COVID-related. He's just not feeling the greatest, but he will be there at MSG to play. 
Uh, we were just holding him out, et cetera, et cetera. We all know what was said. Um, then it comes down today that he's tested positive, positive for COVID. What worries me about that situation is if he had any, I guess, symptoms or anything like that playing in that game last night, which there's a play where Ryan Reese strips him of the puck and he's kind of like, you know, almost like, okay, out of energy, so to speak. I'm wondering if he was zapped last night, you know, from this. And does that spread through the Rangers? Does that spread further through the Oilers? And if you're a team like the Toronto Maple Leafs who are just coming out of a wave of COVID themselves, do you raise your eyebrows and say, I don't know if this is the best idea for tomorrow? Um, so I wonder what you think about that whole situation. Yeah, it's a, it's a difficult situation. And I think the league has been trying to do their best to try and manage it and, and still keep games going. Um, as far as I'm concerned, I think that the NHL should have looked at a, uh, a bit of a more significant shutdown in the first place. Um, you know, give it two weeks, uh, just call off the games, cancel them all, reschedule them, push the, push the season back, um, you know, two weeks or a month if you have to. Yep. Because it's, it's a difficult situation. And at the end of the day, like, would it have completely negated COVID cases? No, of course not. Because, uh, you know, players and teams aren't locked down this year like they were last year. So, you know, there's going to be COVID exposure in the community from the families, from kids, from, you know, whoever it may be uh, along the way in their life. But the way, the way it's spread through locker rooms has decimated teams. And as you mentioned, the Leafs, they had their run in with it. And so did the Edmonton Oilers. I mean, yeah. there was a point in time where the entire Oilers, pretty much the Oil, whole Oilers defense was out for, for some very reasons. Uh, you know, at, at one point we had like three rookies on the left side and it just was, it was just a tough situation for the Oilers to be in. So, you know, cause I think at the end of the day too, it, it, it affects the product on the ice as well. Yep. Um, you know, when you have to look at like the Montreal Canadians last week who had like three quarters of their roster that were just, well, I think right now it's 20 so players off their roster. So, I mean, really, what is it? No, 22 players. So you got one player that's available who's an actual roster player and the yeah. NHL is like play on. <laughs> Yeah, it's absurd to me because it impacts those players as well, because um, clearly the COVID will continue to spread. And I know there was a number of uh, Canadians players that also ended up on protocols that were so those call ups as well. So it's a difficult situation. Uh, it's tough for the league to, to navigate. Uh, I understand trying to balance, you know, keeping the season going. But man, at the end of the day, it's like nobody wants to see a lesser product either. Um, and I think that's part of it. Nobody wants to see these stars missing games. Nobody wants to see rosters full of, uh, you know, incomplete players, so to speak, uh, uh, playing at the NHL level. So it's a tough situation. And, and I mean, hindsight's always 20, 20 in situations like this. But, you know, you, you have to wonder if just shutting it down for a couple of weeks isn't the, isn't the worst thing for, for them to do. Yeah, I think the only thing they're looking at now is, I guess it was explained the best way. You look at each team and how many games they've had canceled so far. And then you look at that three-week window that you have in February where the Olympics are supposed to be. And that is supposed to be, you know, how much runway a team can lose and be able to make it up in that time. And I think a lot of teams have already kind of encroached on that. So you can't really go beyond where they are. That's why they're probably telling Montreal to play. And a lot of these Canadian markets that were waiting for fans to be able to return, same story, right? It's just play on. You got to play because there's no more runway for us to give you. We've given all that we can and we're going to make up some dates in February, but it's no guarantee you're going to get them all either. So that's the other problem. But I look at this one here and I just say, I hope for the player's sake, I hope for Connor McDavid's sake that it comes back as a, as a false positive. 
because I really do want to see Connor McDavid versus Austin Matthews. Uh, like you yeah. said, you never want to see a depleted product. Um, one thing that kind of tugs on my heartstring, I was a big, big Zach Hyman guy here in Toronto. Uh, the hashtag Hyman hustle was a, was a strong one for me. Um, you know, got it on the back of a shirt and everything like that, man. I love that guy. Um, I really wanted to come back to Toronto and get that fan effect, you know, where he's, you know, everybody would be showering him. Yeah. Obviously loved here. Um, what I ask Zach Hyman coming to the Edmonton Oilers, has he been for you guys as advertised? And do you guys love him as much as we loved him in Toronto? Because obviously we still haven't forgot about him. Yeah, he, he's been everything and then some for, for the Oilers on the ice for this market. Uh, he's instantly become a fan favorite. I think, you know, from the get-go, you know, he was pretty much signed here in Edmonton a week before free agency even opened up. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, for the fans here in Edmonton, I think this market really saw that and saw Hyman you know, devoting himself to Edmonton from the get-go and, and people were really happy with that. And the type of player that he is, it's like, how can you argue with it? I mean, back in Edmonton here, you know, if we look back 20 years ago, 15 years ago, you know, there's a guy by the name of, of uh, Ryan Smith that played here for the Edmonton Oilers. And they're very similar players. They're, yeah. they're the hard nose, they're the gritty kind soul. of players that are the heart and soul of your team. Um, so for the Oilers, and the fans here, they've always loved those kind of guys. So, you know, Hyman has fit in very well here in Edmonton. Um, he's been everything as advertised. He's played on the top line. He's played on the second line. He's played on the power play. He's played on the penalty kill. Um, the quotes every night are about Hyman, how hard he works, um, how much players can feed off of him, too, on a nightly basis. Um, he's the exact type of guy that you want. As you mentioned, these fans know all too well about him. Um, so yeah, no, he's been a great addition to this Edmonton Oilers team for sure. So let's talk about the Oilers as a whole. Obviously, a lot of stories swirling around uh, Dave Tippett, uh, if he's going to be behind the bench. Um, I didn't predict, and this is one thing for me, I don't particularly like when a coach sewers a player, so to speak. And I feel like he kind of did that to Koskinen. I know the goaltending hasn't been up to snuff, but if the whole team isn't performing, you know, maybe the best way to get a guy's confidence up is not to throw him under the bus in front of the media and everybody else. He's probably already feeling like crap. The team's not doing well. And, you know, why – I don't understand the, the whole, I guess, reverse psychology, trying to motivate a guy through the media to pump him up. Because to me, I think that would just push him down further and, and make him not want to be, you know, that player that plays well for you. And that kind of – didn't sit well so i made a video today about it i just thought it was kind of i don't know kind of greasy almost um wondering how you guys feel in edmonton i got a lot of feedback my comments over on tiktok are exploding with edmonton fans saying that i don't understand that he's a you know garbage goaltender and you know he needs to stop the puck more i'm just like man this guy we talked about the human element not too long ago here i'm like this guy is a person he's he reads these things he hears these things and i don't know about you but if you're ever called out in front of people you know, whether it's at your job or anywhere, you don't exactly feel the greatest about it. It doesn't sit well inside of you. And some people can use it as motivation, but most people don't. So I'm wondering for you, where do you fall on that one with Tippin and what he said about uh, Koskinen there? So I think when we talk about Miko Koskinen, we have to go back four years now um, to really recap Miko Koskinen as a goaltender, Miko Koskinen in the Empton market. You know, he came here, he was signed by Peter Chiarelli and days before Koskinen, or sorry, days before Chiarelli was let go by the Empton Oilers, he signed Koskinen to a three-year deal with a four and a half million dollar cap hit. Uh, and Koskinen had been coming off, you know, 
two or three weeks of being a 920 goaltender. He was playing some really good hockey um, and some fans really took it sideways and it made things difficult immediately uh, for Koskinen here in this market. This is a, a, a market very similar to that of Toronto um, in terms of the way they are reactive to moves. Um, so Koskinen's had it tough. And, and I think that, you know, the market has been hard on him for a long time and not just from the fans either, but from the, the media members as well here in this market, I've been pretty hard on him. You know, Mikko Koskinen is an NHL goaltender. He's not a starting goaltender. He's a backup goaltender. He's a 1B. He's a guy you can play out there 30, 40 games for a season. Um, and I think this year, you know, and last year as well, the Oilers probably leaned too heavy on him at times. Um, last year, you know, it was the Mike Smith show in Edmonton. He found the fountain of youth. Uh, Smith was incredible last year. You know, two years ago, the team tried to go out and get Jacob Markstrom. Uh, they weren't able to do that. Markstrom signed in Calgary, of course. And the Oilers kind of said, well, you know what? We'll go back to Costner and Smith for another year. And then, you know, this year, just before free agency, they locked up Smith to a two-year deal. And it was kind of like, oh, okay, well, Koskinen going to be on the move right? That was kind of what the expectation had been, and that never came to. Uh, the Oilers tried to trade for Darcy Kemper uh, this offseason. That didn't happen either. So, you know, Koskinen kind of came back day one with a bit of a chip on his shoulder. He wanted to prove to, I think, himself, the team, the market, you know, that he could be a quality goaltender. And, um, you know, it just hasn't come out that way. You know, you look at Mike Smith, he was injured two games into the into the season here. Um, so it basically turned to the Koskinen show. And what happened is what we expected to happen. Koskinen struggled and he's continued to struggle. Uh, he has what we tend to call soft goalitis. Um, you know, he lets in some squeakers on a pretty regular basis, uh, especially early on in games, and it can be pretty deflating. The Oilers, the Oilers have scored the first goal in 30% of the games they've played this year. Um, so this is a team that's consistently being forced to play from behind. Part of that falls on Koskinen, but part of that also falls on the players in front of him. And, you know, what happened the other night against the Rangers was – 15 seconds into the game, Koskinen tried to play the puck behind the net. He fired it over the glass. He always went on the penalty kill. You know, they killed it off. Four minutes later, he tried to play the puck behind the net again, and the Rangers just had the jump on him. Ryan Strom was able to get it out in front. Uh, Alexi Lafreniere had a wide-open net to score on. And it was a head-scratching moment. It was a head-scratching move because it's not something that Koskinen does well. Like, he's not Mike Smith. Right. Yeah. Like Mike Smith is a guy who can go back there. He, he can set up defense and he can set up forwards uh, by playing the puck. It's something that he's very, very good at. And the skill set that not a lot of goalies have in the NHL anymore. Uh, Koskinen tried to be Mike Smith against the Rangers. And, you know, after the game, I was shocked to hear Tippett throw Koskinen under the bus as hard as he did. Um, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a light prodding. It was definitely. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it was it was. uh it was difficult. And I think, you know, part of that came from frustration from Tippett himself uh, as to the situation that um, he's in as a head coach, as I mentioned, he hasn't won a game behind the bench in now over a month and counting um, and it's not looking any better tomorrow night against the Maple Leafs either. Um, so it's Listen, a difficult Booker, That's a, that's a W for you guys. Don't worry. <laughs> I mean, who knows? It, it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I wasn't a fan of the comments. Um, I don't think that, they were necessary to, to make in the media like that because 
like you mentioned, Koskinen knows that he he messed up on that play and he's going to be wearing that one for a while. So it's a difficult situation. And, and you know, obviously the, the rumors have been swirling about, you know, potential coaching changes here in Edmonton. And, uh, you know, that's a whole other topic of conversation too when we look at the way this team's coached and the way this team's built right now. Well, that's one question we're going to bleed into right now. We're talking about Dave Tivitt and the frustration there. And the frustration may be, you know, if you start hearing whispers in your own ear about things that may happen or, you know, you see all the things circling and swirling and then you have reports, say, hey, uh, people asking, hey, have you, uh, have you reached out to, to Mike Babcock and talked to him yet? And, you know, you have Holland saying, no, I haven't spoke to him since November. Why were you speaking with him to begin with? And here's the situation. Why? But then you're like, okay, so you have talked to him. So what's going on? So I can see the frustration there. And I want to ask you, a coach like Mike Babcock loves a player like Zach Hyman, but loves guys who work hard. And we've seen in Toronto, Leo Komarov was really high up the depth chair. <laughs> he yeah. shouldn't have been, but he was. Yeah. Um, do you think a coach like Mike Babcock and what he brings could bring a stabilizing factor to the Oilers, one, but two, also bring out the best in some of these players and get them to play? One guy that probably won't be a big fan of it is Tyson Berry. Yeah, I mean, I don't think Mike Babcock is the right coach for this team. Um, I really don't. I mean, I think Babcock, as much as he has favored uh, those players, I think he's also been not in favor from star players. You know, you look at what happened with Mitch Marner, especially in Toronto. Uh, what a vitriolic situation. What an yeah. awful situation uh, for the player to be in. Um, I think if you ask a guy like Mike Babcock to come in, um, you're asking for more of the same from what you have had. Um, Dave Tippett is a player's coach. We'll give him that much for sure. Um, he has good relationships with the players. And I think for, for a large extent, he gets the most out of certain players. Um, but as far as I'm concerned, this is an organization, and I wrote about it the other day on Oilers Nation, that has been filled with uh, nepotism for the better part of 15 years here, uh, really dating back to when the Oilers made their cup run in, in 2007. It's been a revolving door of friends in Edmonton, um, coaches who know each club. other, the old boys club. And, you know, they've tried to go away from it at times by bringing in guys like Dallas Eakins and Ralph Kruger. But those two guys combined coached 161 games for the Edmonton Oilers back to back seasons. Um, and then what did we have after that? Well, we had more of the same. Todd McClellan came in and McClellan was another guy who had the relationships dating back to hockey Canada. And then same thing with Dave Tippett to an extent, um, because Tippett's a guy that worked with, with uh, Nicholson and on the national level for a little bit. Um, so I think for the Edmonton Oilers, it's an organization that really needs to clean house uh, top to bottom, because I don't see any of these issues changing uh, just by bringing in a guy like Mike Babcock. Uh, you know, I would much rather see a guy like Claude Julian uh, come into, come into town who a little bit more analytics driven, a little bit more, um, more of a modern style of game, so to speak, because, you know, the Edmonton Oilers in the bottom six on this team, the goals for percentages right now uh, for the Oilers players, not named McDavid, Dreisaitl or Nugent Hopkins is as bad as it's been in the last six years. I'll put it to you this way. 
Peter Chiarelli built better defenses than Ken Holland did in Edmonton. And that's really saying something because Chiarelli was a guy who seriously struggled in this city when it came to managing assets and managing uh, players in the trade market. So it's a difficult situation because I almost am starting to wonder if the players are quitting on the coach as well. Um, because for the last two or three, four games here, we've seen some pretty poor efforts top to bottom from this team. Um, you know, you look I, at it. Especially... Just jump in on this one with you. I liken it when uh, the Leafs quit on Babcock. It's the yeah. same kind of style of play. And it frustrates yeah. you as a fan. You know, it almost hurts you as a fan because you're watching this. And you're like, I know these guys can do better than they're doing. They're just not. And you, you just. Yeah, you know, it's absolutely. And a couple games ago, um, Zach Hyman missed the game against St. Louis due to a, a bit of a shoulder injury. And Dave Tippett went and put Devin Shore in the Oilers' top six and proceeded to play in more minutes than a young guy like Ryan McLeod, who stepped into the NHL this year. And he's looked awesome as a bottom six player. He's looked great. Um, high skill, high hockey IQ. Um, but he's being forced into becoming a grinder when that's not his style of play. It doesn't fit Ryan McLeod for what he's been for the better part of his pro hockey career or his hockey career in general. And same thing with a guy like Tyler Benson, another depth player, a young guy on this Oilers team who's scored points at every single level and has been a great producer. And he's now being asked to do something that he's not. So, you know, it's uh, it's a difficult situation to be in right now. And I think, you know, as much as it falls on Dave Tippett, it also falls on Ken Holland because I don't think he's done a very good job in building this roster uh, to being what it really needs to be, you know, um, you know, trading away two solid assets in, in Caleb Jones and a conditional third round pick for Duncan Keith at a full cap hit is, is inexcusable at this point in time. I think something that's uh, that gets missed a lot is the fact that it's actually a conditional third round pick that can improve to a second round pick at the end of this year um, based off of certain things happening. So not only does it tie up or not only does it have the removal of two assets and a, a good young defenseman in Caleb Jones and a third round pick, but it also ties up his second this year yep. uh, and doesn't allow him to trade it at the deadline or even now at that matter uh, to try and bring in some players to help. So there's some, uh, there's some major top to bottom issues in this organization that I see here on a regular basis. I want to ask you about one deal in particular, obviously in the off season, Warren Vogel uh, for Ethan Bear. Um, I was a big bear fan. I, I still am love the style of play. I have him on every single game. You know, when I play my little NHL at HL 22, yeah. I got him on my squad. Um, when that trade went down, what was your initial thoughts? Do you think that's a good deal? Warren Fogle for Ethan bear. Um, I thought he was going to grow into a good defenseman for the Edmonton Oilers, but apparently I, I don't know what I'm watching. Man, it still stings to be honest with you. Cause Ethan bear is the guy that was a young defenseman being asked to play large roles on this team. And he did so very, very well. Um, you look at any of his analytics and his underlying numbers comparative to the rest of the Oilers team, they were very good. And Ethan Bear uh, struggled at times to pass the eye test, uh, so to speak. But he's also a young defenseman who still only played a few hundred, like less than 200 games in the NHL. So those levels and those mistakes are going to happen. Yep. You know, but again, it's the Dave Tippett sort of a thing where he's going to favor the veteran kind of players more than he is these younger guys. And I think the trade was a mistake. I mean, I like Warren Fogle as a player. Don't get me wrong. He's a solid 
he's a guy who should be in the Oilers' top six, quite frankly, but they got him playing in the bottom six. Um, he, he's a good player for sure. But, you know, you look at trading a defenseman in Ethan Bear, who's gone to Carolina, and he's playing top pairing minutes with Jacob Slavin um, on a deep Carolina team. And yeah, you're telling me that he couldn't do that for you in Edmonton here? when that's exactly what he was doing for an extended period of time it was a head scratching move, to be honest with you. Um, you know, there was some rumors about that, you know, Ethan Barrett didn't come into shape to camps multiple times. And there were some other rumors of leading up to uh, him being traded that summer uh, as well. And I just think that it was an overreaction knee jerk move by this this Oilers team and and you know once again trading away good young defensemen uh, I hearken back to Jeff Petrie uh, 10 years ago almost now right like it was the same situation where Petrie in a in a in a vacuum was a great young defenseman and again he just the Oilers traded him away for magic beans and a couple of draft picks ironically enough one of them used to to select uh, Caleb Jones, who the Oilers ended up trading for Duncan Keith. So it's uh, time's a flat circle here in Edmonton, I tell you, because it's uh, you, you look at things that happened 10 years ago and you're still seeing it happen here in town. So um, again, love Warren Fogel as a player. I think he's a solid young uh, a forward who does a lot of things right on a nightly basis. But when you look at it purely from an asset standpoint, you're trading a young, cost controlled top four defenseman in the NHL for a bottom six guy. And, uh, you know, I don't think there's many people that feel that that was a very good move for this team to make because there's been a lot of struggles on this Oilers right side. Uh, Cody Cece has been good here in Edmonton. Uh, he hasn't been great. He hasn't been what Ethan Bear has been. And uh, the Oilers also brought back Tyson Berry on a three-year contract as well, which was another bit of a head-scratching move in the grand scheme of things. So, um, yeah, the, the Bear trade was a tough one, too, because he was a, a fan favorite in this market. Um, Alberta's, Alberta's got uh, some pretty large indigenous communities here um, in, in Alberta, and they really grew around Ethan Bear. And us as a company, we really supported him, too. Like, we, like on Oilers Nation, we do merchandise and stuff like that all the time. We partnered with some indigenous leaders in this province to create some merchandise. And actually, one of the shirts I'm wearing right now was a uh, an Ethan Bear shirt, ironically uh, enough that, that we had made. So um, it was a tough one on a human level too for for this market to uh, to swallow. Yeah, like I said, he's a he's a guy that I really liked, and that same thing, like watching and just everything, not just on the ice, off the ice, way he carried himself. Watching that video where he bought the young man his hockey gear and everything like that too, just spoke to what he was. And it's like, why why would you want to give away somebody like that? Why would Absolutely. you not want him a part of your organization that is screaming for good stories and screaming for, you know, positivity just to build around. And that's one guy you could do that with, which absolutely blows my mind that he's gone. And now in Carolina, and like you said, on a deep team playing top pair of minutes, which hello, the Oilers definitely could use, but again, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens in the long run, but right now it's looking like, the Carolina Hurricanes made out like gangbusters and they're going to love rallying around a guy like Ethan Bear because why not? Because obviously Absolutely. a great story deserves a great team to carry him. So that's what they're going to do. So yeah, huge, huge head scratcher. One thing that I want to get out as a kind of like a get your popcorn ready, Terrell Owens kind of moment. What about John Tortorella coming in and being the coach of the Edmonton Oilers yeah. after the comments made about Connor McDavid, how fast do you think Connor would phone his agent and say, I want out. See you later. 
Yeah, I don't I don't think it would happen. I mean that would be that would be the worst possible move that this yeah, I mean, that would be the worst possible move this organization could make. Look, uh Tortorella's been out of a job for a couple of years in the NHL uh for a reason. Uh he wears on players and he wears it very thin. Um, and I think that's why a guy like him would not be a great option whatsoever. And especially after the comments about Connor McDavid, I mean, come on, that would be, that would be a horrible move. And, and I look at Babcock in a similar sense too, right? Both, both are coaches who are very, very hard on players. Um, and not that I necessarily think this team needs somebody who's soft per se. Um, but I think, I, I think this team needs a coach that they can rally around and feel good about. Look at Bruce yep. Boudreau. Look at the Vancouver Bruce, Canucks. there it is. Yeah, Bruce, there it is, baby. I mean, it's been great to see, but this is exactly what the Oilers need. They need a Bruce Boudreau who can come in and kind of be a little bit of a lighter coach, so to speak. Obviously still demanding of the players, right? Like any coach would be in the NHL. Uh, but somebody who's a little bit more player friendly, because I think over the years, those have had too many coaches come through this city uh, that have been the hard ass style of coach. And um, I just don't think it, I just don't think it works very well in this market. No, well, we've seen the same thing here in Toronto with, uh, you know, the kid touch, the non-kid touch, the, you know, the Babcock way. It just, the Lou Lamorello thing too, breathing into that as well you know, where you had it on both levels. Like, hey, this is how you're going to carry yourself. This is how you're going to be around the rink. Hey, and then, by the way, this is the way you're going to be on the ice because he said so. So no matter what, you had no breathing room wherever you were in the building. So it was a, you know, a breath of fresh air to see Kyle Dubas and Sheldon Keefe come here. I want to get your outsider opinion before we talk about the game itself tomorrow and what to expect from both teams, which I'm expecting probably a little bit of a sloppy game. But for the Toronto Maple Leafs, you look at this squad, and what they've been able to accomplish in the regular season out of the Washington Capitals for so long. You know, they're able to do good things in the regular season, put up good points, you know, have great players, you know, get guys the Rocket Richard Trophy and Austin Matthews last year, but not able to get over the hump in the first round. This season, for whatever reason, call me an optimist, it seems like the team is playing differently. It seems like they play for one another. Uh, it seems like they have the right mix of guys who have skill, some guys who can grind, some guys who don't care. They'll throw their body in front of everything. Hey, Andre Kasha, how you doing? Uh, and then you got guys like Michael Bunting that fill in the Zach Hyman role. Not perfectly, but is doing quite well. And then you have guys that haven't fit yet, but are still trying to find their way, like a Nick Ritchie. But then you have guys like Father Spezza, who's just turning back the clock. You talk about Mike Smith. So it seems like they found a mix this year that is doing well. And I'm wondering from your outside perspective on the Maple Leafs, do you see the same thing? Yeah, I do. I mean, I, I really like the build of this Maple Leafs team. I think they're deep. Uh, I think they're a team that can roll four lines against you any night. And I think, you know, that depth is something that Oilers fans are kind of clamoring for and craving for. Uh, Cause I don't think that the Edmonton Oilers have it to that level. Uh, you know, I love, the, I love the way the Leafs are built right now. I like what they've done with, with uh, Dubis and with Keith there kind of uh, writing that ship, so to speak, you know, there's a lot of pieces that are great. Like a guy like William Nylander has consistently been one of my favorite, favorite players in the league uh, for some time now 
you know, and even a guy like Mitch Marner, I'm a big fan of his too, dating back to his days with the London Knights uh, when he won the Memorial Cup here in Alberta. I covered that tournament in Red Deer. So uh, I always had a bit of a soft spot for Marner in that sense of the term too. You know, you got top end talent, you got great leaders in Matthews, who's really growing into his own as a, a more complete NHLer as well. And a guy like John Tavares too, who in his own right is a superstar that I think people kind of forget about a little bit to an extent. Under the radar um, superstar, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Right. You know, Kerfoot, I like him as a player. Mikhaev, I like him as a player too. You know, on the back end, I think things are maybe a little bit more suspect there. Um, I think that could be one area where I'd probably want to see the Leafs trying to dress there uh, on the back end, add a little bit more depth ahead of the deadline for, for what I think could be the a Braden and McNabb push. drum. I want Braden McNabb on the Maple Leafs from the Vegas Golden Knights. I think he's what they need. Physical, can play yeah. high minutes, block shots, hits the whole nine yards. That's yeah. the kind of guy they need right there. Yeah, it might be a little bit more expensive, but like wouldn't be a terrible move at all, right? You know, the Leafs have some draft capital that they can move around to. They got a first and a second this year. You know, nothing really beyond that in terms of uh, <laughs> draft picks this season, right? But, you know, if you're a team that's really looking to go all in here, um, you know, now's the time to do that. The cap might make things a little bit different, a little bit difficult there as well, in a sense. Um, but I, I really like the way this Leafs team is built. And I mean, uh, I think they're a team that can make some noise. And I think they're a team that needs to break that spell or that curse, so to speak, and and get out of the first round and go on a little bit of a run. Yes. Get that monkey off the back for this city and this organization that has been just beaten down consistently over the years. Uh it's I know what it's like to 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 operate in a market like that because we've had the same thing here in Edmonton. Yeah. Uh, so you know I, I feel for you guys out uh, out east there for sure. Well I want to ask this question about our goaltender now. Uh Jack Campbell obviously came on the scene last year, took over for Freddie Anderson, did really well. Um then this season again is picking up where he left off. I'm wondering for you, do you look at again outsider's perspective do you believe in the Jack Campbell that we're seeing or is this just fool's gold Jack Campbell and eventually things will come back and regress to the means? Cause to me, it seems like this is a goaltender that finally found a, a market that he likes to play in and B a team that he believes in, but C has the confidence to keep rolling. And I think a lot of people bought into that when he was beating himself up about losses, how he was handled and told, Hey, it's not all on you. We're a team. We lose together. We win together, you know, quit doing that stuff. So I'm wondering for you, do you buy into the Jack Campbell show? I've been pretty surprised by Jack Campbell, to be honest with you. I mean, you know, he's now in his third season in Toronto um, and the numbers are all really good. You know, he's posted good win loss record, obviously, but his underlying numbers are solid too. He's got a career 929 uh, this year. He's got like 20.3 goals saved above average. That is that's an incredibly impressive number. Um, not what I expected, to be honest with you. Um, you know, looking at a guy who came to Toronto when he was, you know, in his later 20s uh, to really take over the role as a starter here, uh, I think has been really impressive. And I think, you know, having a guy like Peter Mrazek to back him up as well, uh, you know, when healthy, I think is solid too, because he's a guy who, you know, he's struggling this year in his brief time as well. But he's a guy who's been, been around the league for quite some time, right? So, uh, I, I think I do buy into the Jack Campbell hype. I think you guys got a good one there. Uh, I really do. And, and especially after what happened with Freddie Anderson, 
you know, disappointing tenure, I think, for the most part in Toronto, uh, especially in the last year or two. So to have a guy like Campbell step in at 30 years old this year and, and really take the reins the way he has has been pretty impressive. Uh, one of the brightest spots in, in the whole league as far as I'm concerned. No, definitely. And it doesn't hurt. Again, we talk about good guys. He's got the big smile. He's, uh, you know, as genuine as they come as the nice guy stuff goes. Uh, so for tomorrow night, we have the Toronto Maple Leafs. We have the Edmonton Oilers. Oilers in town. Um, wondering for you, for the Edmonton Oilers to beat the Toronto Maple Leafs tomorrow night, provided a, we'll say Connor McDavid is in the lineup, uh, what do they need to do to be able to beat the Toronto Maple Leafs? Oh, man. Not get scored on first? <laughs> I mean, it's... It, you can laugh at it, but honestly, man, it has been really difficult. And it happened again in in uh, New York this last yeah. week. You know, I was sitting there watching that game against the Rangers. And the second that first goal went in, I was like, oh, man, game over. Like, really, it really, it was really that way. Um, they always got to come out strong in that first period. They got to find a way to get an early goal, kind of get the monkey off the back. It's going to be interesting to see what happens, I think, in the next day or so here. Um I wouldn't be surprised to see Stuart Skinner recalled from the American Hockey League uh, to come in and start tomorrow against Toronto. Uh, he's played in Edmonton for a brief time here, but he's played a couple of games and he's looked really solid doing so for, for the Oilers. I've actually been quite surprised with the way he stepped into the league, uh, into the NHL rather this year. Uh, posted some strong numbers for this team. I think he's a guy that's probably needed in net right now. And I know that's weird to say about a guy who's, you know, 23, 24 years old, uh, still a young pro netminder, but he's a guy who's showing that he can compete and play at the NHL level. And the players seem to be more confident in front of him. And I don't think that confidence is there for the team in, in a guy like Nico Koskinen anymore. So it's a difficult situation. And, and I think, you know, if the Oilers have any hope to try and win this game, against Toronto on Wednesday, they need to come out with a strong first period and, and find a way to have a lead uh, after the first frame. Well, one thing for sure, when Connor McDavid plays the Toronto Maple Leafs, he always pulls a, uh, a trick out of the old bag and does something to, uh, to wow everyone and basically say, Hey, you know, this is a player you're not going to get in the Toronto market, but I'm going to light you up when I'm here because I'm from here. Um, so if he's in the lineup, I, I give the, uh, the Oilers a full marks and full chance and I don't think the Leafs are going to take them lightly. I do, like I said earlier, think it is going to be a sloppier game. Um, you look at Toronto, yeah, they beat Ottawa 6-0, but it's Ottawa right now. Uh, they're a team going through their own woes. Um, but I do see it being a much more sloppier, uh, not connected game, of course, uh, with the Oilers going through stuff with Connor McDavid right now. The Leafs going with Austin Matthews. You look at practices. Everything's all over the map. I mean, we had uh, Alex Biega in a forward position today because Andre Kasha wasn't available, hurt himself in the gym before practice. So there's all kinds of weird things going on. So I'm looking for a sloppy game. And for me, for Toronto to get out in front of Edmonton, what they need to do is exactly what you just said, is to put the pressure on them, but roll those four lines, like you said earlier, and get something from those depth guys, whether it's a, a Kerfoot down the line or a Spezza, um, you know, really match up well against the bottom lines. Because I think when you go head-to-head -head with the top two lines, they can definitely play each other into a stalemate, uh, watching each other do fancy things because that's what they yeah. do. Um, for me, I, I see Edmonton probably winning this game, to be honest with you. And that's coming from a Leafs fan. I just have this weird feeling that it's going to be the Connor McDavid show if he's in the lineup or the Leon Dreisaitl show, and it's not going to be stopped. I think the, the Oilers need to stop the bleeding 
and they can do it with the Toronto Maple Leafs. And if you beat a team like Toronto, who's doing quite well recently, that may just stop a lot of the pundits and people saying things for at least for one night that you put, you know, a, a bow yeah. on it, so to speak. And beating a team like that, and if you do it convincingly too, I'm not just saying eking at a one goal victory, you know, winning maybe like three or four nothing or four, four one or something like that. I could see that silencing the masses. It happens here in Toronto all the time. The Leafs seem to go on these little spells and then they beat a team that everybody says they, they're not going to beat. And then everybody's like, oh, wait a minute. No, oh, these guys are good. These guys can do this. And it gives them that moment to breathe. And maybe that's what the Oilers need right now is a moment to breathe. It is. It is exactly what they need. Um, I, I'm definitely less optimistic of it coming against Toronto. That's for sure. Um, Toronto seems to have had the Oilers number for a while. Look for a guy like Will, William Nylander to have another good game because he always seems to score against the Edmonton Oilers. I don't know what it is, but did you hear what he time, did? He, he was off in his COVID protocol for ten days or whatever, playing Call of Duty. Comes back and scores two goals with limited practice time. It's like, wow. Okay. Yeah, it's uh, he's a great player, man. He is. He really is. I think he's a guy that the Toronto market seriously underappreciates because I, I don't understand does... that one one single bit. I understand your angst against a guy for holding out for a contract. Yeah, like, come on. I mean, for bang for your buck, he's a great player and he loves to play in Toronto. He's a guy who should be making Marner's salary, honestly. Like he I think he is that good of a player that he should be making that kind of money. Um, you know, but for the Oilers, I mean we've struggled on the road this year, eight, seven, and two. Yeah. That sounds pretty good, but the Oilers have had two extended road trips this year where they barely scratched 500 uh, earlier in the year. They lost on the road in games to Buffalo and, and to Detroit where they played down to the level of those teams. I just don't see it being a game where the Oilers get up for it. Uh, again, things have been tough in this market here. Uh, issues are starting to seep into the Oilers locker room as well. What's difficult for the Oilers too, is that, you know, they play tomorrow night, they don't play again, or they're not scheduled to play rather until Monday due to some postponements. Um, so this is a, a game that in a sense is almost must win uh, for this club. I think any game at this point is must win for them, but doubly so uh, considering that if, if the Oilers have another loss tomorrow night or Wednesday night against the Leafs and they have to sit with this for another four or five oh, or six wow. days, yeah. you know, at the very least, because they're scheduled to play Ottawa on Monday. That game hasn't been postponed yet, um, but I wouldn't be surprised to see it happen. And then they don't, they wouldn't play for another 12 days pretty much after tomorrow. So uh, things could be getting pretty hairy pretty quickly. So, you know, the team needs to come out. They need to have a strong start, as I mentioned, but for the Leafs, if they like the game plan against the Oilers is simple. You come out in the first period, you get pucks in deep, you're physical on the board. You separate player from puck as much as you can. You find a way to score a goal early and you take the life right out of the Oilers. It's a simple game plan to play against the Oilers at this point in time. So I don't think I have a level of confidence that uh, the Oilers will be able to come out on top, but Hey, I mean, stranger things have happened, right? Listen, if it's a must win game and these guys got to win this one, obviously, because you don't want to be sitting with that. I'll say this. I'll, actually, I'll ask you to say this um, a prediction on this. If the Oilers, lose tomorrow night do heads roll i mean have that window to sit because then you can bring a new guy in and allow him to get comfortable for a couple of days and be with the team it would almost seem like the appropriate window for them to be able to do something like that if it doesn't go the way they want or even if it does it may still be the spot 
where something happens with this team, um, whether it's a trade, a coach firing, I don't know, but something, I feel something will probably happen if they lose to the Maple Leafs. Well, the Oilers are in a tough spot. I mean, I think at this point in time, there's no better time than now to make a coaching decision and a coaching change. Even if it's like in my eyes, I think the best move the Oilers can make would be to let go of Dave Tippett and bring up Jay Woodcroft. He's been the Oilers uh, American Hockey League affiliate head coach for the last three years. He's done an incredible job down there. Uh, the Bakersfield Condors have been one of the better teams in the AHL for the last number of years with very young teams as well. And a lot of those players have graduated up to the NHL level now. So there's a level of familiarity uh, that Woodcroft has with a lot of the players that are on this roster. I think it's difficult for the Oilers and Ken Holm to try and make a trade right now. I think that's where um, I don't know if that's the right move either. The Oilers are, you know, $7 million into the LTIR right now. They have quite literally zero cap space to work with. Um, so any trade is a dollar in dollar out. And uh, I don't know if I can name a single team out there in the NHL that would want to scratch the Oilers back right now at this point in time and, and give them a player to help out. Right. So, you know, I think when you look at it that way, it says, okay, well, the, the only option the Oilers really have right now to make a serious change is a coaching change, right? Unless you're moving out a bigger salaried player. Um, but is that going to happen? I don't think so. I mean, you, you maybe you're able to move out a guy like Tyson Berry, but again, it's got to be dollar in dollar out. And yeah. I just don't see any team in the league wanting to help the Oilers out with that. So, you know, I think if the Oilers lose, I, I would not be surprised to see Ed's role in Edmonton. Yeah, what's well, the old saying that Jeff Merrick always uses? Uh, when you're sinking, teams don't throw you life preservers, they throw you anchors. Absolutely, oh. absolutely. So that's the one right there. Well, Zach, it's been awesome to have you on. Obviously, uh, we look forward to the game tomorrow night. Uh, don't uh, don't look out for too many tweets from me. I might chirp you a couple times at the least <laughs> actually get up. But, hey, if the Oilers win, I will send you a good old winky emoji because uh, maybe I put some good juju on the team. But, Zach, it's been awesome to have you on. Where can people find you, find your work, just in case they already haven't? I know you're pretty big in the Oilers scene, but maybe there's somebody under a rock somewhere that hasn't heard of you yet. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at ZJLang, uh, Z-J-L-A-I-N-G. Find me at OilersNation.com. You can find me at DailyFaceOff.com. We've been doing some great work over there at DFO this year. Uh, we hired uh, Frank Saravalli, formerly of TSN, so he's been running the show there with us, and uh, we've been having a ton of fun with uh, hockey content there. So, yeah, come find me on Twitter. Come find my writing, and uh, always, uh, always down to talk hockey with anybody. So, Well, we look forward to having you back on, obviously, towards maybe the end of the year. Hopefully the Oilers' fortunes turn around. But this has been Offside Hockey Talk, where hockey comes to talk.